Three, two, one. Welcome to the Day of the Dog Trainer podcast, episode one sixteen. Today we're being joined by Dylan of Chinook Canine. I think that's the proper uh, enunciation, but we'll find out. Let's get him. Let's go. What's that? Oh yeah, I gotta get that one. Hello. There we go. Yes. <coughs> hey guys, can you hear me? I can hear you. Oh, Let's get the awesome. I can't here. see anybody, but yeah. oh, there you are. There we go. All right. How's it going, guys? Good. It's going. We can't see you either. Oh, you can't see me? Okay, just a sec. Is there something I got to do to fix that? Um, generally, you just got to hit the, the start video in the bottom left of the screen. Recording in start progress. Video. Yeah, I see it. I see it. Yeah. Oh. Okay, I'll, hey, I'll access the camera. Go. There we go. Hey. Can you see me now? We can sure can. Awesome. Yeah, I just got a new phone, so I'm still adjusting the settings there. So, are you doing this? How are you guys doing this morning? We're we're great. We're doing not too shabby. Good. Glad we finally got you on. I like all the swag you got all dished out there. Yeah, I mean, I'm always kind of swagged up in that regards. We got a we got a lot of like merchandise and stuff we like to aware and the logo is pretty catchy so people notice it pretty quickly yeah the giant canine i used to be so fucking bad about wearing any sort of like company merch. i don't know why like yeah it's like when i started my first company i remember we'd have gear and my business partner at the time would get so pissed at me he's like you never wear the heights canine stuff you never mm-hmm. wear the heights canine mm-hmm. stuff and i was yep. just like I'm just so per- I just feel like I'm so particular about like the clothes I wear and stuff. So it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah, like I need something that yeah, like you- really feels good to have on, you know, regardless yep, of how yep. cool the logo is. So I feel like that that is the one thing I did like with the new company when we started getting merch printed is I was like I'm only printing this shit on stuff that I actually want to wear. And I still hardly ever fucking wear it. Yeah, exactly. Good quality. <laughs> yeah. do, you, do you make your do you get your staff to wear the merchandise too? Or yeah, yeah. So that... so we do require that they have at least yeah. one piece of miracle canine clothing on at all times. That can be as simple as we got like beanie hats, but just have the little tiny dog logo on it. And it's like you could just wear that. Mm-hmm. I don't give a fuck. It's gotta be something like that. But we also provide most of it for them. So um, we don't like make them I like I we have an employee of course, to yeah. work for like a big box chain. Um, and she said that they used to, they used to require that they purchased all of the merchandise and they had to wear all of it, which I thought was the craziest mm-hmm, shit mm-hmm. ever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely strange, but, uh, yeah, before, before I guess we get too into it, definitely good to be on the show finally. I know we, we kind of have talked back and forth about it for a while now, so yeah. glad we kind of worked out a date and stuff. And I've been a fan of the podcast for a long time, so it's absolutely awesome to be on the show. Oh, yeah, That's, uh, I think I've been following you since like your first couple episodes, honestly. Really? Hell yeah. That's well, awesome, dude. Yeah. Definitely. I, I think we really connected like when – was it you that like like John Trains Dogs was like all over your fucking page also or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, we had that that mutual that mutual enemy kind of thing. So we connected through that, I think. But yeah, yeah. yeah. I was yeah. Uh, dealing with the wrath of John Train's dogs as well for a little while. So that's so funny. I so I, I he he wound up being the only person in the history of any like page I've ever had that I blocked. Like I just it just hit mm-hmm. a point where I was like I just gotta block this dude, and then I blocked him. Yeah, and it's funny because like my personal page, like I don't think he knows about it or anything like that so once yeah. on a blue moon i'll like go and like go on his page and just see what he's up to and uh it seems like it's all the same absolutely answers. nothing so yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, yeah, well, why, don't, yeah. why don't you go ahead and just kind of introduce yourself let everybody know who you are what you do all that 
Yeah, so my name is Dylan, and I'm the uh, owner and head trainer at Chinook Canine. So Chinook Canine is the business that I started probably, I think, four years ago now. It's been since I started the business. Mm-hmm. Um, we do board and trains and private training, primarily dealing with reactive, reactive aggressive dogs. Uh, and just general behavior modification is kind of our uh, our specialty. But we do do all sorts of other things like obedience training and puppy training, of course. Um I run the business entirely out of my house, which is a little bit unique for for people that run, you know, a, a business like mine. So we do we do have a pretty good volume of dogs and a good volume of clients, as well as several staff members. And I uh, I run the business from my home, and I've always done that. So um, that's kind of you know the the gist of it for me. We're located in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. If you're familiar with where that is, mm-hmm. um, that's where we're located. So it's a relatively large city. Uh, and yeah, so I'm just up here doing my dog training thing. So that's awesome. Yeah, I, I guess I didn't realize you were in Canada until like maybe 45 minutes ago when I was like scrolling through your page and, and stuff like that a little oh, bit. Wow. And I saw Alberta and yeah. I was like, oh, damn, he's up in Canada. I don't, I don't know why that didn't click, obviously. So, so the first question that popped in my head when I heard that, and actually, this is a dumb question because I have a bunch of colleagues and stuff that are yeah. in Canada, but aren't there some sort of bans on training tools in Canada? Or is there we not? don't currently have any bands where I am at. Um, I don't know if maybe there are certain provinces that do have, gotcha. have bands on tools. I know that certain cities implement rules like that as well, but I'm not sure how um, how strict they are with it. Luckily, where I am at, we don't have anything like that, and I'm sure we won't for a yeah. long time. Um, but yeah, there's definitely some very uh, some very like more left-leaning parts of the country that may certainly incorporate those bands. Yeah. Um, I know Toronto... I think it, it had to have been like seven years ago or so now uh, attempted to ban prong collars, but I think that uh, that was overturned, I believe. Um, I think that actually the IACP or something had a hand in getting that that overturned. Yeah. But um, currently we don't have any tool bans. Again, though, the way the way things are going with our country and, you know, yours as well, most likely mm-hmm. it's um, it, may, it may come very soon, you know. Yeah. It very yeah, well may. I- I feel like recently, like in the last like month or so, we had maybe a YouTube comment or something like that from somebody that was saying they were from Canada and saying something was yeah. banned somewhere. But I, it, and at that time, I was like, oh, Canada probably has a, a legislation against it. But then I was like, wait a minute, I got like six colleagues up in Canada that I talk to semi-regularly that yeah. have never said anything just give me, before. I'm just going to disconnect the Wi-Fi here so I can go into uh, sure. cellular because I'm cutting out a little bit. No, you're good. One sec. but yeah i you know i don't think we have any tool bands as far as um my knowledge goes but we do have breed bands so there is like pit bull bands and stuff across the the country certain Mm -hmm. provinces do ban um bully breeds and stuff like that so we have a lot of breed specific legislation um countrywide i don't know if you guys have any of that in in america anywhere but um it's it's yeah that's kind of a bit of an issue that we deal with it's very city by city for us so it's like really on yeah, a minor yeah. scale obviously uh and there are some cities that are extremely strict yeah. about it others that aren't uh but it's nothing mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. nationwide and honestly as it sounds like it is a little bit up in your case because we talked to somebody else from canada just a couple episodes ago um and she was saying that but she was saying there still are like a decent amount of like bully breeds that just kind of register as whatever something else you know <clears throat> 
Yeah, that's kind of the, the way they, I think they get around it. But, you know, I think Ontario, that's the, the, the province, I should say, that I know has strict breed-specific legislation. They, they've been in the news for, like, literally, like, shipping dogs out of the province once they find out that, that they have, uh, oh, wow. you know, a bully, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, wow. it's, it's kind of crazy. So you, um, they're pretty strict on that kind of thing. Do you know anything about the history of, like, when that started getting really intense in Canada? Like, why they are so strict about it over there? I have no idea, to be honest with you. I don't know if there was a specific case or situation that led to it. Um, I'm I'm honestly not sure. I'm not really up on that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The 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 breed specific <clears throat> band thing, obviously, we know as trainers is like so interesting because, like, mm-hmm. like, you know, obviously the intentions are there of like trying to like reduce mm-hmm. bites and dog attacks and like all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But like, it, it's so it's you know obviously we don't see any sort of. I mean, like you get you know, your golden doodles and your freaking retrievers and stuff like mm-hmm. that that come in that have all the same issues. But would you say that there are any sort of like things that you see less of or more of or anything like that uh, in that whole kind of conversation of like banning dogs like pit bulls or some of the stronger bully breeds or anything like that? Yeah. Oh, it's a tough one. Hey, that's like yeah. a hot, hot topic. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. um, I, you know, from a, in my, personal standpoint i don't think just anybody should go out and own a pit bull sure. um and you know it, it's definitely one of those things where people do breed them and raise them for some of the wrong reasons a lot of the times yeah um but just even beyond that they're just regardless even if you get a really well well-bred one they're they're powerful dogs they're dangerous dogs even right sure. and so that's something that needs to definitely be considered with that um yeah there are a lot of very nice pit bulls um you know, there's a lot of nice bully breeds and stuff like that. So it's, you know, can I say that they should have a ban on them? That's very difficult. But yeah. I think so- sorts of legislation could be in place, like, you know, making sure that the dogs are coming from reputable breeders and stuff. Right. But that goes into the whole wider topic of, you know, in general, just spaying and neutering dogs that aren't going to be bred or shouldn't be bred. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't. You know, I don't know. It's a tough one. Hey, I don't. I, I don't agree with bans in general. Period. Sure. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Like, I'm not really on board with that. Um, but yeah, it would certainly be nice if there was some way to kind of control who was getting these dogs and stuff. You know, yeah. where they were getting the dogs from. Yeah. Um, but that's the case with any dog. You know, Rottweilers, Conde Corsos, all of them. That's kind of the case, right? Yeah. Malinois, even right. Yeah. So. We've, it's uh yeah it's a hot topic yeah we've never dug super deep into that conversation i think we like mm-hmm. we touched on it two times before that i could remember one time was after the incident we had here in tennessee recently which i'm sure like every dog trainer on the, yes. the planet saw where the two kids got killed the mom got seriously injured uh and then the other time i think was maybe shortly after that when we had american standard on and we briefly talked about the conversation of uh, mm-hmm. pit bulls specifically being like power breeds we've referred to them as and stuff like that yeah and, and it's it's such a dicey conversation because yeah so so many people are so like shy to talk about it and talk about the 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 instincts and stuff that they're bred for yeah. and the fact that like i know here right the culture around owning pit bulls also is so interesting you know mm-hmm. what i mean like obviously because they're like the rescue breed of choice they're the number one breed that you see in shelters and stuff like that so there's already this emotional like heartfelt connection to like saving these mm-hmm. babies that need help and then yeah. just god man pity moms out of mm-hmm. any dog mom are like some of the worst possible yeah. owners you can see sometimes <laughs> 
So, so it's are. so tough of like how much of it is just like a breed problem versus just a mentality around the breed problem that's just enhancing mm-hmm. on these traits that frankly many other breeds have in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. So, so it's yeah, it is, yeah, it's definitely a tough conversation for sure. Yeah, we actually had a, an incident. Um, I want to say it must have been just in the fall, maybe the summer of last year. Um, it was probably only a like you know a, a, a neighborhood or, or two away from me actually where this happened um an old lady was out cleaning up and gardening in her back like back alley area and apparently three pit bulls broke through the fence and totally mauled her killed her um in, in the back alley and i think it was like an 80 year old woman or something like that mm-hmm. and that was um that was on the news and stuff like that it wasn't quite as uh a big of a story as that tennessee incident but that was a big story here where that happened and you know again it goes into the 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 you know who owns them and what they're actually raising and breeding them for and you know they they're they're a dog that a lot of people like you said people have that mentality when they get i shouldn't say most people but a lot of people that get them get them for uh, having a tough dog that's gonna you know be aggressive right unfortunately but you were saying like you said with like you know pit bull fur moms and stuff it's like that's that's where it's like you know i don't agree with legislation because yeah, some of those clients can be really difficult, but some of those clients are some of the best ever. And like, they really love their dogs and they have really great dogs. They just might misunderstand them or not be even aware. Um, and once they become aware and do the right things, they, they end up with great dogs. They become great handlers. Yeah. But um, again, it's like not without that training, not without that guidance, you know, yeah, yeah. otherwise, like I said, they can be, they can be difficult and dangerous. So, so like, I, I would hate to, you know, say to those people, like, you just shouldn't own this dog because yeah. some of them can clearly, you know, adjust and work through that stuff. But a lot of people can't. And um, a lot of people don't want to. A lot of people aren't trying to, to, to fix those those dogs, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest things that I see that gets them into trouble is the, like, the freaking, like, chase and grab instinct they have, I feel like is really where a lot of the issue arises, you know? Because, like, so many of them yeah. are very, actually... I don't want to say very social, but they socialize fine with other dogs, right? Like generally speaking, mm-hmm. if you have them in a one-on-one play group and stuff like that, they love to play and, and run and tumble around mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And, and under 99% of circumstances, it's fine. But those same dogs that are extremely friendly and playful with other dogs in the right circumstances of just like being behind some sort of barrier and just being let loose, it's just, they just go into this frantic state of like not even trying to like freaking kill anything, but like just they have to like get to that thing with all of its intensity and just grab mm-hmm. it with all of its might, you know? And uh, yeah. I think that's mm-hmm. really, that's the, the challenging part about it is they could be so misleading to people from the standpoint of they'll socialize them a couple times, they'll see them be very friendly and stuff, and then they'll just think that they're fine, right? And then they run into a situation like that where their front door is left unlocked or they get out of a gate or something like that, and then they go barreling down the street and they just attack or maul another fucking dog because of that instinct that's just drilled into Mm -hmm. them, you know? Yeah, it's, I don't, again, I don't know. It's, um, it's, it's tough because people don't understand the breed. And so like, it's, um, you know, like anybody that owns a bully breed should understand the history of them. They should know what a game bred dog is. They should know what that that breed was bred for and is used for. Yep. And even you know, even even today is still used for, right? Like these are these are fighting dogs. These are dogs that are bred to go chase and kill large animals, right? Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. And 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 they're meant to take a beating while doing it too, right? And yep. so 
So that's that's really at the end of the day what they are. Um, obviously, we know that that myth of them being nanny dogs is just a, an ill-conceived myth. I don't know where that came from, but sure. um, there's a Facebook page I enjoy following. It's called uh, I think it's called Dogs of Brit is what the Facebook page is called. Okay, and you know it's um there's some there's some some stuff in there that's like you know not not ideal right like there's definitely a lot of people that probably fight dogs and stuff within this this facebook group um but there's also a lot of people that breed you know pit bulls for um wild wild game killing and stuff like that chasing and catching wild game and boars and stuff right and those dogs are just the most powerful powerful amazing dogs like watching them really work and stuff and, and do their thing is just it's insane but you can see where that comes from when you watch you know the pit bull get let loose to go chase down the boar and kill it you can see why when they break through that back gate they go and you know kill the nearest toddler or dog that they find right yeah. um that's 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 why right because that's what they were bred to do that's what their instincts tell them to do so so that predatory drift and you know that's usually what kind of i think instigates that is that 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 whatever it is becomes prey to them um that that, that that's a switch that can't really be shut off until they've completed their job right yeah like you can watch you can watch them when they're mauling these animals you know when they're being used for what they were bred to do when they're killing like i said a boar or something and the boar is kicking them thrashing at them the other dogs are you know barreling over top of them and stuff and they're not letting go they're not not quitting that mission till that thing stops moving yeah and that's their one goal right to get it to stop moving and once it stops moving it's uh you can see it like, you know, you just take your pet pit bull and take a squeaker and watch it dissect it until it stops squeaking. It's yeah. the same, same thing, right? So yeah. it's fun. It's awesome. It's, I love that about the breed, but unless you're aware of that, yes. then you shouldn't probably the, own one, right? The, the mindfulness of it is so important because we could equate that to like any other mm-hmm. breed. You know, like if we talk about, you know, Malinois, right? Like you get a Malinois that you mm-hmm. want to be a strong, resilient dog that is not going to back down in the face of adversity, right? And it's like, yeah. it's the same trait, right? It's a, a slightly different, yeah. but it's a similar trait and a similar state of mind that is so sought after. But that's where we get into that conversation of, I, I talked about it when we, we talked about it on that one podcast episode. It isn't a breed thing. It's not like we're out here shitting on pit bulls right or anything like that it's simply a fact that they've got to be categorized more in that power breed family of something that takes a more skilled owner to truly keep safe and sound because they understand those traits you know yeah and i think that's like when you're talking about breed specific legislation if we're talking about banning breeds i'm not again i'm not on board with banning pit bulls but if we're going to ban anything let's let's you know, we should not ban anything, but make sure that there's very, you know, significant um, rules over who can own all of those power breeds, not just pit bulls, you know, Connie Corsos, Rottweilers, Malinois, German Shepherds, yeah. pit bulls. No, just random people should not be owning these dogs. Like, yeah. you know, the average person should not be owning these dogs and shouldn't be able to. Yeah. Um, does that mean that we should not be breeding them or, you know, whatever? No, I don't necessarily think that's the case or should we ban ownership no i don't think so but man at the same time it's like the you know the the our our job would definitely be a lot easier um if we just had doodles and you know goldens and retrievers and labs to work with (laughs) yeah yeah you know yeah nice i i think a happy medium really would be also just like 
you know, forget the banning and stuff. Like, just, like, require some degree of education, you know? Like, mm. you know, you have to get some sort of, like, hey, like, I, know. I understand yeah. the traits, right? Like, I understand yeah. how to keep this dog safe. I understand what I need to do from a training standpoint. Because, again, a large chunk of our clientele is pit bulls that wind up being amazing dogs for their owners once they understand them and they get proper training on them, you know? So that would be such a simple solution for this. And yeah. Just, like straight out just being like they just they just can't be here right we can't have mm. them in this country or in this province or anything like that yeah and i think uh yeah that comes down to the breeders yeah go ahead, go ahead. no no sorry i was just going to say it you know it's especially here in the states it's like the i think the big conception of pit bulls like you said are these yeah. like oh they're so sweet and they're these beautiful like nesting dogs or whatever and and people get like they have that personification of that that breed you know of, of these pit bulls and it's like like you were saying maybe there's a better like light on these pit bulls or what they really are or like educating people like hey this is what they were actually bred to do you know at the end of the day they're not yeah. these like nice you know the the, the more docile kind mm-hmm. of breed that you think they are like they were bred for a purpose you know decades centuries ago or whatever and I think that's the big problem is, you know, these, like you said, people are getting these dogs thing and they're these sweet animals and they don't really understand how to deal with it when they actually come to fruition with how they were meant to be as a real dog, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe that would be yeah, it's, a better education, you know? Again, like it's like, like you were saying too, David, it, it comes down to the breeders in those regards. Cause at least with a breeder, you could like, you know, they could say, Hey, yeah, like, this, this dog's, you know, parents, it's grandparents, you know, the, the, the parents before that, they, they were, they were cuddly. They were nice, friendly dogs. They never, you know, did any of those things. Or you get the, the breeder that says, no, these dogs are bred here to chase and kill and, you know, do this. And they need to be owned by specific people. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but the breeders have to be the ones with that information because otherwise people don't know. And unfortunately, we know that most people don't get these dogs from the best breeders. I don't, I personally, I know a lot of Malinois breeders. I know a lot of German Shepherd breeders, know a lot of Rottweiler breeders, know a lot of Kanye Corso breeders. I don't know one pit bull breeder, you know? I, I mean, point. I could maybe yeah, name yeah. one pit bull breeder, but yeah, yeah. it's like, you know what I mean? So yeah, it's like, yeah. there's not like people out here breeding. There is, but like, I don't know these kennels off sure, the heart. Sure. And the average pet owner sure as shit doesn't. You know, you could even go on Kijiji or, well, not Kijiji, but Facebook and do a German Shepherd search and find a kennel that's selling well-bred German shepherds. But again, pit bulls, you go on Facebook and search that you're going to find every backyard breeder from, you know, here to Texas kind of thing. Right. So yeah. it's, yeah. uh, that's, that's the, the or, or you're going to get it from a rescue that yeah, yeah. tells you one story about the dog. When meanwhile, it's actually got this other story going on, you yep. know, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> so that's, that's the difficult part there. Yeah. That really is, I think, also a lot of the problem is, like, some of the issues that are in our rescue system and, like, how to possibly even begin to, like, reform those things and get people, like, out of this state of mind of, like, needing to push off these dogs with problem Mm -hmm. behaviors. Like, just with the influx of dogs in rescue to begin with, like, there is a serious conversation, I think, that needs to be had of, like, what is the standard of dogs we keep in the rescue system versus we put our resources and time into the ones that, like, actually are really good dogs already. Like, we have a lot of rescues we work with. And listen, like they're they're amazing wonderful people but like they'll call us and they want to send these dogs to us for training to like rehome them and they're like willing to give us you know three grand or whatever like train this dog help us rehome it and stuff like that yeah and at this and i'll look at the dog and just be like 
this dog is going to be so difficult for somebody to own, right? This dog is going to be so difficult to train in the first place. It's still going to have the freaking problem behaviors. And I would really like, like, let's really look at like that three grand you're looking to invest in this dog, like could be so much more effectively put into something else that's going to benefit a ton of dogs, you know? Yeah. So I think that's also one of the, the bigger issues. And as we're seeing more, like I saw just, just the other day, there's like a lawsuit. Is somebody suing um, a, a, a rescue or, or, or something like that for rehoming a dog that wound up attacking this girl? And the girl had to like lose her arm, I believe, because of it. Mm-hmm. And she's suing the rescue for, I think, like mm-hmm. 400 grand or something like that. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that. You know, as, as stuff like that happens, it's like, I think the hot seat is going to get put on rescues a little bit more of like how much more accountability there is for, you know, not properly disclosing this kind of stuff, which I think is going to kind of spark some of that change that really should be happening to help people just have better dogs, you know, have less problematic genetic messes of dogs, just like running around the streets. Yeah. That's a, again, another hot topic. Yeah. We're starting off strong. We're but off it's strong, yeah, right? it's yeah. it's one of those things where it's um, I I think that they uh, yeah, I don't know exactly what that's about. Why why they 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 push those dogs so strongly and they're willing to invest so much money and time into those dogs when there's you know five dogs lined up right behind that dog that you know yeah. you'd spend you, you could spend a fraction of that money on training and they're going to live a long happy life with the the owner right away. You yeah. know. Mm-hmm. With thousands of dollars and further investments and stuff. Like that. And I don't know, you know, again, it's good on the rescue if they're willing to pay for that kind of thing. Excuse, they don't even, you know, they don't necessarily even want to pay for that kind of thing, right? Yeah. I, uh, when I first started training here in, in Calgary, can you hear me still? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. I just, I thought the sound cut out. Um, but uh, when I started training here in Calgary, when I first moved the business here, we started working with a rescue and uh, they wanted to, you know, I think that they, the max they wanted to pay was like $60 for, for private training sessions. And they were only willing to like commit to paying for for one private training session. And this would be for like, you know, aggressive dogs, like elderly, aggressive, you know, pit bulls and stuff that just came from Mexico. It's like, what the fuck? It's like a, you know, (laughs) 10 year old dogs fresh off the boat from Mexico. It's like, you you can't do anything with them. It's like this, this dog is, no, it's, it's unfortunate. Right. Um, but it's, uh, I think there's a, I just saw a post recently too, that like, you know, they're selling these rescue dogs for, Somebody asked, "What's the average selling price of a rescue?" And people ranged everywhere from three hundred fifty dollars all the way up to you know thousands of dollars for rescue dogs. Somebody commented they paid like six thousand dollars or four thousand dollars for their their uh, Chinese food market rescue dog, and and the rescue sold it to them, saying that it had extra fees because it was from China, yeah, and and all this stuff. And people are paying this money for these dogs, right? So people are paying for the stores and. Did the dog even come from China? I bet this dog is just backyard bred somewhere in fucking Tennessee and sold as, you know, it, it was a corgi. She posted a picture of it. It's like a corgi. Yeah. And somebody commented on it. They're like, uh, I, I call fake because I don't think there's much good eating on a corgi. Yeah. And I laugh my ass off because it's so true. It's like, like it's, it, they're selling a story, some of these rescues, and that's what they're doing. They're selling these dogs. Yeah. You can call it rescue, but you're <laughs> trading money for, um, you know, a, a, a product and that's selling, right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. 
at the end of the day, that's what they're doing. Yeah. Oh man, we're just going from hot topic to hot topic here. So this is, this is something kind of funny that happened somewhat, somewhat recently. I don't even know if I told you about this or not. I don't think so. This actually was pretty funny. This is something I woke up to uh, uh, maybe a month or two ago. Um, So, so uh, uh, there's some sort of rescue organization. I don't know who who they are, but some sort of rescue organization in the States here um, that they, their big marketing ploy is that these are like, like dogs from the meat trade and yeah, same deal like China or wherever the fuck, right? They're going and getting these dogs from the meat trade and then like bringing them back to America and then rehabbing them and rehoming them and stuff like that. And one of my trainers got in like a, 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 I wouldn't even call it an argument, but like, I think she made a comment on a group somewhere. She was talking to somebody, this person joined into the conversation and she just kind of made a snarky comment of like, uh, like, oh, well, well, the the person that's funding the meat trade, like, join the conversation or something like that. Oh, my God. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, that's and exactly basically it, what though, she right? was, like, snarkily implying was, like, like yeah, like, you're going Ugh. over to these countries, right? Like, first off, like, like we got so many dogs here that need help. Like, let's maybe focus on those for right now instead of, like, going to other countries and pulling more dogs into the states here, right? Where you're not even going to make an impact on what's going on over there. You're just making yourself feel better that you have this dog that is from the meat yeah. trade that you saved right but um yeah like you're you're needing to buy those dogs you know what i mean like you go over Mm -hmm. there and you need to purchase those dogs from people that are selling them for meat you're just buying them for yourself right to 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 rescue them right but you're indirectly funding that whatever kind of a funny little like in my opinion right like kind of snarky backhanded comment that's very true right but anyways so i woke up from and I don't know who the fuck this person is. This person doesn't know us or anything like that. I got a DM on uh, the Miracle Canine Instagram. I woke up. I'm reading it, and I'm like half awake, laying in bed, reading this this fucking novel of a message, right? Of this person, like I don't know if you know what your trainers are out saying, but and then tried to give me this <laughs> huge sob story on like she doesn't understand the meat trade and this <laughs> and that, and I really think that you need to have a conversation with her and blah blah because blah, she's she's making your company seem so bad blah blah, blah. and and I think I just replied back like like this isn't even like I don't even know who the fuck you are right like I don't know anything about your guys's discussion you're having like just go away right like in the most polite way possible and then she tried to like threaten me she's like well my page has 20,000 followers and my partner's page has 90,000 followers and well your attitude really makes me feel like I need to use those followers and and, and talk about what you guys say and do blah blah <laughs> and she's like weaponizing her fan base because she was so mad about this one little snarky comment that they yeah. made I was just like this is ridiculous like the trainer was like I'm, I'm sorry like I didn't mean to like drag units I was like no 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 this is just psycho people that are just stirring up fucking nonsense and just have nothing better to do with their time. And that shit drives me so fucking crazy. And there is no fucking way I'm going to try to appease this person by saying, yeah, I'll have a conversation with this trainer. So she doesn't send her a hundred thousand followers. Oh yeah. She was saying, Oh, Oh, I think she said at one point in it, like they're going to leave bad reviews on your Google page. Like, okay, so you're going to weaponize your followers to leave fake reviews and attack our page. Cause you're so mad that somebody stated a comment. That's actually true. 
So ridiculous. Who else do we know in the dog industry that does that? Yeah. <laughs> huh. Interesting, hey? It is interesting, isn't it, how the, the rescue community, the force free community will mm-hmm. do that kind of thing, right? I mean, the, I guess the balance training community probably does the same sure, thing sure, too, yeah. I suppose. So, um, But yeah, like back to your point, it's like, I'm sure these are, maybe I'm wrong and maybe we are ignorant and really don't know the meat trade because I certainly don't. So I'm certainly, you know, (laughs) talking from a point of not knowing, but I have to assume knowing what I know, I have to assume that when, when they're in the the meat markets in China and those guys see them white guys coming down the aisle, they're they're up in those prices of those dogs right away. Right. Those dogs go from, you know, whatever yen, what like, 50 yen to, oh, you know, yeah, 150 yeah. yen. Oh, they're just trying to make some you know? money, you know? And yeah, yeah they don't give a fuck yeah. if the dog is going off to be oh, in the no. meat trade or going to the United oh, yeah. States of America to get yeah. sold for a profit somewhere. <laughs> like, they don't give a fuck. Yeah, it's... Oh, boy. I uh, I actually recently... I recently went to Florida here for a big dog dog thing, which I guess we can talk more about. But one of the things I got the opportunity to do while I was down there was I got to visit a rescue down in Florida. Mm-hmm. It was in, I believe it was in Palm Beach is where it was. Um, and... It's one of the largest rescues. I don't want to call it out or anything, but it's one of the largest rescues. I believe it is the largest rescue, no-kill rescue in the U.S., I believe. Um, And it's down in Palm Beach, so you can kind of imagine the clientele and stuff that they're getting for for these dogs down there. Um, So I I got the opportunity to visit there, and they took us on a big tour of this place, right? And, um, you know, bless these people. They're, 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 They're trying to do good work, especially all the people that work there, but... I can't help, but when I went there, I couldn't help but just think it's just a big dog collection facility. That's all they're doing there, yeah, right? Sure. Uh, dog collecting and selling, right? That's that's what they're doing. And we were there, and it's this massive facility, massive facility, really well-funded. People like Rachel Ray, the Trumps and stuff have all put money into this place. Yeah. Um, mm. And, like, we're walking through, and there's dogs, like, you know, not – I don't want to say they're crammed into rooms or anything, but they're definitely, like, you know, four dogs in tiny rooms kind of thing, right? Sure. Um, they walk us through, like, these bunkhouses, essentially what they are. It's like you're walking through bunkhouses, barracks, and they've got, like, four dogs per little cubicle. And sure enough, like, some of these dogs are getting into fights and stuff. They actually walked us – I don't know why they did this, but they walked us through their infirmary, like, their veterinarian bunk. And you could see some of these dogs were getting into fights and stuff and pretty fucked up from each other, right? Yeah. And so – you know, we're seeing that and then we keep going through this facility and I'm seeing dogs that are like, you know, it's in Florida, it's like 30 degrees out and there's dogs out in exercise pens with no water out in the sun kind of thing, right? Yeah. Maybe they're not there long, but they're panting, sure. they're hot, there's crates and stuff, wire crates outside, like they're over capacity. They have these massive bunkhouses filled with dogs yeah. and then they're still putting more dogs into places that they're really, there's like, I look into corners of like utility closets and there's dog crates and with a dog in it or something. And then we're getting this tour of this facility and this lady, we're walking by this, uh, we're walking around and she says this jokingly. She says, I think she says, we have about a hundred dogs from a, dog, a Chinese meat market and we just have no idea where we're going to put them. And she's laughing about it. And I'm meanwhile, like with her, I'm aware they're going to put them, but it's like, they're just accumulating and accumulating dogs. Right. Yeah. And I'm sure they're making good profit off of them too, making good money off of them as well. Yeah. Um, you know, again, it was, it was a nice place. It was a, it was a nice place, but I feel like it's, again, it's one of those things where once you get into that rescue business, it seems like a lot of people go a little too far with it or get a little too carried away. You know, they go yeah. over capacity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's so tough, right? Because it's like, 
damn, like over capacity. You got a place like that where like, yeah, a nice place, like the dogs don't give a fuck that it's a nice place because like, what does a nice place no. mean to the dog is that they could hold more dogs, right? Yeah, and like it they probably, got murals and paintings yeah, on all It the looks walls. nice for the people that come in, right? I'm sure they have cozy little areas to go yes. chill and like meet the dogs and stuff that you might want to <laughs> top. But like in the end yeah. of the day, they're sitting in the same fucking kennel that any other rescue or shelter on the face of the planet has mm-hmm. dogs sitting in also, right? Yeah. And it's so hard because like you... Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say like, yeah, even their kennels are interesting because they were like, you know, just rooms with like glass windows. Yeah. They're not like cage wire kennels or anything for the sure. most part until you get to those dogs that were over capacity. They also had, it was very cool there though. They had this large kind of open concept sanctuary. It's almost yeah. like, um, like if you've ever been to like, um, like the, the, what's it called the the king the animal kingdom at disney world or whatever yeah, yeah. where you like look out over to the savannah kind of thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> looks like that and it's just their, their dog play yard and they'll just let dogs run free out there and yeah. it's really nice that's really beautiful that is but really again cool. yeah, yeah then you go through the infirmary you go through that vet room and you see what that can kind of lead to with when you start you know cramming out and dogs when you don't other temperaments and stuff in one place yeah this is such a in, in in internet. If you're listening to this, like, don't fucking shoot me in the face right now. But but like, it would be so interesting to see in a hypothetical world if every rescue had their capacity right of X dogs, where that amount of dogs they truly could just properly care for. Right, they could provide mm-hmm. good enrichment, good stimulation, right, mm-hmm. uh, uh, medical needs, food needs, all that kind of stuff. Make sure that while they were in the shelter system. They weren't just cooped up and they were still living a good life in there, right? It would be yeah. interesting to see if every single one of these organizations had that number, right? And once they hit over that number, mm. they had to look at all of the dogs that were in and say, which one of these is going to be the most difficult to adopt out? Mm. And they immediately put in place like a euthanasia policy for that, right? Which rescues do anyway. So this isn't so fucking crazy that I'm saying by any means. But if that really was the policy... And that's how they handled it. I would be so interested over the course of a couple of years to see what kind of dogs were getting put out there. And in addition to that, the ones that were in the shelter system, we could still all confidently say they were living a good life, even if they lived out the next three years in that system. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, know. it's, yeah, I don't know. It's it's tough, right? But again, I think that's the thing is people uh, aren't going to stop buying dogs. Just like, you know, they're not going to stop. Yeah. Getting dog training, people aren't going to stop buying dogs. So, yeah. unfortunately, somebody has to fund that. Whether it's the backyard breeders, the the reputable breeders, which obviously can't keep up, or the the rescues, which can bring in an unlimited capacity of dogs and just keep them coming and coming and coming. Right? Yeah. Interesting, man. Yeah. Well, segueing off the difficult conversation. So what? <laughs> <laughs> so what? Uh. So so. Oh, well, actually, no. You you brought it up. So you were in Florida. You were there for Ivan's school, right? Did you go to Ivan school? No, 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 no. I have oh, not didn't. gone to Ivan school. No, um, no. I was. Oh, I, I have not been to Ivan school. No. Oh, okay. Got gotcha. No, what I did you uh, go down there for. I went down there for a pet expo that was in Orlando. They do something called the Global Pet Expo. Okay. Um. So one of my good friends and my mentor in dog training, he he owns a big facility in Arkansas, and yeah. he, uh, me and him decided we wanted to go down there just to get some new contacts, new, new, um, you know, new clientele and stuff like that down there in at this pet expo and um so we made a, a big trip that went down there for about a week kind of thing yep. and uh spent a few days at the expo that was a lot of fun there was a lot of really cool stuff there um it was huge it had to have been like a thousand vendors or something like that i don't even know yeah. but it was crazy they had like dog trail was there um they had uh 
there's lots of vendors. You know, I would have liked to see more more e-collar vendors because I think Dog Transport Dog were the only two that were there. Yeah. But there was a lot of cool cool vendors in the pet industry. I made some good contacts. Um, you know, for for some products and stuff that we want to start carrying, like leashes and stuff like that. So uh, it was a worthwhile trip. Um, so that was pretty pretty awesome being able to do that. Um, while we were there too, we got to go down to, like I said, Palm Beach. We went down there and uh, we actually got to visit the sheriff's department and stuff down there in Palm Beach. We got to uh, get a tour of their canine training facility. Very cool place down there because Palm Beach is obviously a, a very wealthy kind of area. I believe it's one of the wealthiest places in the U.S., if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, and so their police department is well-funded, so they have a very nice canine program. Um, are you familiar with Justin Rigney by chance? Not really, no. Okay, he's a trainer, and he does a lot of work with them. And um, he's just kind of a social, uh, popular on social media, I guess. But yeah, yeah. he does a lot of work with them and stuff. And, uh, yeah, they have a very nice facility on there. So that was very cool being able to tour that and see that. Got to check out their aviation unit, and they actually were able to take us for a helicopter ride. Nice. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that or not, but we actually got to go <laughs> up with the police department on a helicopter ride. Yeah, yeah. And while we were up there, we were actually, like, following some people that were, you know, trying to rob some – they were doing ca- cash – or check cash and robberies and we were able to follow them and watch them on the, the camera and stuff. So that was really, really cool. Yeah. Got to go fly over Donald Trump's house, fly past his plane and stuff, <laughs> fly over where Jeffrey Epstein used to live. Jesus. Got like oh, just man. the whole Palm Beach tour. It was really cool. Yeah. No, it was cool. We got a, like a really cool tour while we were down there. So, so that was awesome. And again, being from Canada and it was like, the, it was pretty much dead of winter still at that point here. So going down there and it's 30 degrees is just, well, I guess 80 degrees was really, really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was awesome, but it was a good trip, a good productive trip. And again, I went down there with my mentor, uh, Rob, um, and it's always good to see him and catch up with him and stuff. So yeah, you said so that was pretty awesome, but no, I never done Ivan's school. Yeah. Sorry, say that again. Oh, I said, you said, so you said Rob is in Arkansas. What, what is his company's name? Uh, joint forces canine is the, uh, the company he owns. So they got a big, pretty big facility in Arkansas, yeah. um, in the, in the Northwest, I believe is where it is just a beautiful beautiful yeah. facility up there and he's actually he's the one that kind of got me into dog training so um he's been a good friend for for since well for a long time six six and a half years almost seven years i think he's been a good friend and he's uh he gifted me my first malinois oh yeah um i was able to get my first yeah i was able to get my first malinois through him because they he used to do well he still does i think they do um police breeding programs and selling of police dogs and stuff so he had yeah, imported yeah. some dogs from from belgium i believe at the time and um a few of them were just kind of washouts. They weren't really suitable for the, the work kind of thing. And he had these dogs up for sale. Uh, we ended up becoming good friends at this time. And he ended up gifting me the dog to kind of start my path into dog training. So that was actually my first foray into owning a dog on my own. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, that's sweet. The first Malinois, man. Well, that's the thing. It's like he was my first dog and it's yeah. a Malinois. So I really had to kind of dive headfirst into the, you know, the training, yeah. training. Right. And so that's what started my path. But like I said, six and a half years ago or something, that's what started me into dog training was getting this dog and having to, and he was not a, you know, he wasn't like a high drive. Again, that's why he was washed out. He wasn't like a crazy high drive Malinois, but he was very nervous. He was skittish yeah. um, and had a lot of behaviors in that regards that I had to really work through and navigate. So it was a, uh, it was awesome. Like I said, it ended up getting me into dog training and, uh, you know, it was, it's really cool. Hell yeah. So what, so, you know, six and a half, seven years, that's a pretty substantial time to be in the industry, obviously. So what currently over those six or seven years, I love asking new trainers, not new trainers, just trainers in general, this question, what has you like really excited in the dog training world right now? 
you know? Cause like, obviously like I know in my case, like things can get yeah. so sometimes so mundane, you know, as you do things for so long and especially working with the same types of issues and clients and this and that. And I've always said like, yeah. I have the luxury of, because we have staff, I have a business, this, that I could make sure I don't get myself too like bored or stagnant with things just through ping-ponging through different aspects of that business, you know, and mm-hmm. helping out with different parts of it and, like, specializing in this for a little bit, then this for a little bit and stuff like that, um, which obviously you, you know, as a, as a business owner have the luxury of as well. But what currently has you, like, really kind of pumped up and motivated? Yeah, I think, you know, again, and you mentioned, like, um, Ivan School. I think for me that's kind of what it what it is. It's, you know, I'm kind of deep into that that Ivan cult right now. And yeah. and in, in that rabbit hole of uh, – of, of training, training, trying to train through play and, and aspects of that. Yeah. Um, again, I haven't gone to Ivan's school or anything, but I certainly have taken, I think every course he has online, yeah. um, I've taken, and I definitely do want to go to the school. It's just a timing thing. It's really the biggest, biggest factor for that. Um, so that's my, my next goal is to hopefully be able to go for his certification course here at the end of the year, I'm hoping, yeah. um, and accomplish that. But as far as getting excited about it, like that's, you know, just trying to navigate that and take the concepts I've learned from his online courses, as well as just, you know, grasping concepts from other trainers and stuff and applying them, being able to experiment with the board and trains and stuff here, experiment with these different techniques has been exciting because it's been cool to watch the differences in, in some of the dogs I've been working with, with these new methods and stuff. Um, and I think that's what I've been most excited about is, is just experimenting with these these new methods in general. So what are, um, for me, that's the most exciting, I think. So you said you've taken a decent amount of his courses and stuff online. What are some of the types of courses that he's currently yeah. offering online? I actually haven't looked into them. <clears throat> yeah. Most of his courses are sport-based. So most of his courses are going to focus on sport work, and that's something that I've been diving into since I recently got another mallet one. Actually, I got her about a year ago now, so, well, just under a year ago. No, a year ago. Um, so she's a little over a year now, but she's going to be my sport Malinois for PSA. And since I got her, um, I, I kind of started to dive more into, um, more into his sports stuff. And that's kind of what really led me down the pathway into getting into this stuff was that sports stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does have some pet related content on there as well. Uh, in, as far as courses and stuff goes, he's got, um, one course that I recommend people take called the make your dog somebody course. And that's a really good course. Mm-hmm. And then he's got his two, his two kind of, um, cornerstone courses which are going to be the chase and catch and the possession games courses and those are like the two must-have ivan courses kind of thing if you're going to purchase any courses those are the two must-have and those i think those two courses are really like what a lot of his training branches off of Mm -hmm. um there's of course much more to it than that but if you're familiar with those courses and you kind of apply those concepts you can really kind of see some unique interesting interesting things you know um and, and again, just going further down the rabbit hole with his stuff. So I've been, you know, following other certified Ivan trainers and stuff and watching the way that they do things, watching the way that they interact with dogs and seeing some of the differences and stuff in the way that they, they do things. It's just, it's very cool. It's very, like I said, different and very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, I think, you know, for, for the average pet owner and stuff like that, it's, it's one of those things where. Even even the average trainer, it's very different than what the average trainer is going to tell you, right? Um, sure. A lot of his stuff, um, and and I, Ivan talks about that. He says that, and people like you know, they they I think a lot of people bash him and stuff for that for like saying his things wildly different than the way people train sure. currently. But a lot of it is it's very 
it is very different, you know, but it's it's a lot of the same concepts and stuff, of course, but it is different. So it's it's cool. Just a lot of fun um, to, to, to go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, I think uh, I remember when the Possession Games, I think it was just a DVD or whatever came out years ago. And that is one of the one of the few that I watched. I watched that when I think I started watching his first one on teaching like the competition heel. And I know he I think he came out with a recent one. Uh, like a part two or something like that too that I, ha- I haven't seen yet but I remember the possession games was really interesting because like you know at the time I think when it came out really the the the, the tug work and all that kind of stuff that a lot of people were doing in sport work was very much around like the concept of how like Michael Ellis was doing it with the like there's mm-hmm. this clear picture of what playing with your dog should look like right you should be tugging and you're creating a chase game and you're teaching the dog to always want to bring it back to you and this and that and Ivan's was so interesting from the standpoint of it's like not all dogs like to play like that and why do we need them to play like that? You know, it's like mm-hmm. if the dog really enjoys, you know, doing victory laps with the toy every time they win it from you and doesn't immediately bring it back and likes a little bit of uh, chase and all that kind of stuff. It's like, well, the goal of using the play is to be able to reinforce things. And if that's more reinforcing to the dog, why would we not use that? Why would we try to cram them into this box of something that they're not as into, you know? And I remember that was a very interesting concept. And I think even when it first came out, I think my brain probably immediately went to like, no, that's stupid. That doesn't make sense. Right. Because I I didn't understand it well enough. Right. And it's so funny because like indirectly, you know, as you work with dogs for longer and longer and you see dogs that don't fit into that mold or, or for example, there's, there's a dog that I've been working with um, that I just did a lesson with the other day. I've been doing some, some in-home classes with really, really skittish, fearful dog. Right. And, um, you know, the dog at this point listens to commands. He's fine. Like, you know, he's trained. Right. But like, we want to give him an outlet to start just like having fun more, you know, and, and have the owners have a place where they could really build just like a little bit stronger of a relationship with him and, and help him overcome some of those fears a little bit better. So we started playing. I was like, you know, like what, like, like what drives your dog crazy? Like, is there anything that your dog really, really, really likes? Right. And they were like, yeah, like, once every couple weeks, like we'll play this game in the house where we just chase him all around the house, right? And he he just, just like run away from us, and we'll do that. They got this little round table. They're like, we'll do like twenty fucking laps around this table of us just chasing him around, and he's having the time of his life, right? Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, they couldn't get this dog to like chase a ball or do anything like that, and he would just lose interest in games that they were playing with him. So we're like, all right, well, let's take him outside. And I was like. Just do that with him right now. Like whatever you guys generally will do in the house where you fucking chase him around and get him all hyped up, like do it. And this dog was like so freaked out of just new people being in the house. So he was very apprehensive initially. It was myself and somebody else that was there. And um, they started doing it. And like, you know, he's kind of like not sure what's going on. And then eventually this dog just fucking lets loose and they're just fucking chasing him around and they're losing their breath because they're running around all over the place and there's like a stick on the ground and he kind of picked it up at one point and then they chased him Mm -hmm. and then finally they got the stick and threw it and he wanted to grab it and then they started chasing him again. And, And he just had... You know, long story short, he just he just had so much fun doing that. But that's the dog yeah. where if you tried to teach him through the traditional ways of play, yes. right, which is like, yes. you have to give this thing to me, drop it right away, right, all that kind of stuff. Like, he just, he, yeah. that wasn't for him. That wasn't what he found reinforcing, yeah. you know? <clears throat> yeah, and that's the stuff that, that's like the kind of thing that I love and really gets me down that rabbit hole of Ivan outside the sports stuff, more into the pet stuff is sure. Using those play concepts. Are those dogs loud in the background? No, I can't hear them all. 
okay, perfect, cool. Um, but yeah, using those play concepts in, in, in the in, for pet dogs has been so much fun and seeing those kinds of dogs, right? Where it's like, you know, the owner can't get them to play or the owner, you know, thinks that there's a certain way that they have to be playing with them. Meanwhile, the dog wants to play a different way. And then being able to, like you said, like that dog was running around and grabbed a stick or whatever, being able to channel that into productive play. Yeah. And I think, again, I don't want to speak because I'm not, you know, I haven't taken Ivan's course. So I don't want to speak for him. But what I've been doing and what I've found has worked is applying the concepts of his games, chase and catch, applying the concepts of his games, like possession games, to turn that into a productive game, right? And I think that's the whole purpose there, is using those concepts to make a productive game with an actual objective, right? Mm-hmm. Where, like, you know, when the owner's chasing the dog around the yard, a lot of fun and stuff, and I, I, I don't know, like, I wouldn't discourage that or anything, but I would want to turn that into a productive game, have some sort of, you know, have some sort of objectives, some sort of rules you can apply to the game and stuff, right? And that's the fun part about it. But even beyond that, like, getting dogs in that, you know, for me, like I said, with this new these new concepts and apply, trying to experiment with these new concepts. When I used to get a dog in that would go and try and chase a car, for instance, right? I, you know, I'll bring them in for their, you know, their intake or whatever. We'll go out on the road and sure enough, they'll go launch at a car. And, you know, before I would just put a prong collar, e-collar on and give them a correction for it almost right out of the gate kind of thing, right? Now I see that. Now I get a dog that comes in, maybe wants to chase cars or something. I'm like, hey, this dog wants to chase. Let's play a game concepts of impulse control teach these concepts during that game then go out and go back to the cars again and see how does the dog behave do they apply those concepts learned in that game to now no longer chasing cars yeah maybe i still need to apply a correction or a consequence for that behavior of course probably that's still going to happen but the dog has a better way of understanding that i'm not muddying my relationship with the dog at that moment so it's just seeing those things you know um i i just had a dog in uh really like really kind of wired dope young doberman just like focused on everything in the environment but its owner and you know very focused on squirrels as soon as a squirrel run by productive play which i then used to train the dog mm-hmm. and i think that's like one of the important concepts with it is like it's the whole concept of training the dog in drive yeah. so through play you're training the dog in drive and that's the whole thing is like you know when we deal with problems with dogs it's when they're in drive yeah when they're in arousing, you're never dealing with a dog problem that's not in drive. So, you know, it only makes sense to train the dog in drive. That that includes, you know, training the impulse control while the dog is in drive. And that's the whole idea, I think, behind Ivan's concepts of training with these games. Um, well, that's one of the concepts, I should say, is being able to train the dog while they're at that peak state of arousal. And again, it's like if, if you can't get the dog, because I used to think, you know, I'd get dogs in for boarding trains and I, you know, they're nervous or they're, you know, a little timid or even aggressive and I shut the aggressive behavior down immediately. Mm-hmm. But then I never see the dog enter drive again for the entire training program. And yeah. I realize now that that's an issue because the dog's going to go back home and they're going to go into drive. Sure. And then we yeah. never dealt with it. We never taught the dog how to deal with that in drive. So you yeah. have to be training again with that, with that arousal in place, right? Yeah. That's the only way to do it in a way that makes the most sense. and is going to be long-term effective, I think. So, yeah. That's uh, that's just another one of the interesting concepts I think of of Ivan's training methods that I've applied to the pet dog stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's a really interesting point that you brought up about the training and drive, and then you know suppressing it too quickly where you never see it again and can't really work on it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, like obviously yeah. like, you never saw it again, right? So like it, you know, you could say like, oh, well, like it it kind of worked, right? Like I I the problem behavior went away, this that. 
But knowing that once the dog goes back into the home and, you know, maybe one twenty-fourth of their day is training as opposed to 100% of their day, right, um, you're going to yeah. have to address it again once it goes into the house. Or, yeah, you could spend a little bit more time teaching the dog to loosen up and having more areas where they can enter that drive. That, that is a, that's a really interesting point. And it's, it's really interesting, too, because I think it's a, there's, a, there's this, this line then you kind of start to teeter on where it's like, Some people will go like, you know, if this is like the traditional way that a lot of pet dog trainers would train their clients and this is like the Ivan way, right? A lot of people will go from like here to here to here to here and, you know, they're like, all right, well, I'm going to switch from doing like all this was totally wrong, right? Like I'm I'm never going to do it again and I'm only going to do things in this fashion now, right? And then they could shoot themselves in the foot by, you know starting to overcomplicate their program a lot and not understanding their clients' individual needs. And if they're going to want to be able to do a lot of kind of the different types of things that are going to be involved in that process, as opposed to having it just another tool in your toolbox of this is another great solution for some dogs that maybe you can't suppress away the behavior. Because we definitely see plenty of dogs where it's like, you could crack this dog all day long for that thing that they're doing when they're all jacked up, but mm-hmm. you're 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 only going to get marginally marginal improvement in that behavioral issue. You know what I mean? Um, and maybe that's where yeah. you could start to lean into a little bit more of this side of things. Or you have that client that just really kind of wants the call it quick fix, call it whatever, that doesn't want to have to play all these games with their dogs and do all this kind of stuff, and they just want to correct the behavior and make the behavior stop and you can lean more into that side of things and mm. and kind of work at it more of a spectrum as opposed to that like on off switch way of like this is the right way this yeah. is the wrong way you know yeah. it's that's it's, a, that's the tough thing right and like i said i'm not down i'm not that deep into the, the rabbit whoa we lost him we lost him i feel like his internet's getting a little shoddy over there yeah right, hang on. we'll be right back we'll be right back people <laughs> all right we're good Wait, do I need to hit it here again? No. Yeah, sorry about that. Perfect. No problem. But, um, oh, good. We're good. Yeah, We're yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, that's it's it is one of those things again. It's what I think a lot of people that are in that that Ivan realm and that Ivan corner, um, and even Ivan gets a lot of flack for us. I don't. And again, I don't know if I'm I'm not all the way there or anything. Um, I, I'm not that familiar with what Ivan actually teaches. I just know what I know from his courses and what I've applied and stuff. But. He literally says, like, you know, you can't just apply his methods as another tool in the toolbox, right? And he gets a lot of shit from other trainers for that, yeah, right? Because, yeah. again, the way he talks about it, the way he trains is, like, it's it's vastly different, you yeah. know? If it's But like you said, if you're, you know, applying it different concepts to different, like you said, if there's one client that wants a quick fix and you apply the quick fix versus another client that wants to go all the way with their dog, yeah. or maybe I decide, hey, you need to, you know, go through this full program to actually truly rehabilitate the dog or whatever um knowing how to do that is definitely like i said important and i don't i would never say that like one way is like you know the only way to do it or anything um but that is something that ivan would say right it's like you know and that's what again he gets a lot of hate for from other trainers and it's um it's it's same thing with the sport side of it he he does the same thing with the sport side and that's why a lot of sport people openly 
do not like Ivan, like even yeah. like in my, cause I'm now in like PSA and sure. stuff like that. And so even people in my club, I can tell they have a disdain for him because yeah, of yeah. the way it's like, no, his way is the way to do it. The way you're doing it is just fucking wrong. Yeah. And you should stop doing it that way. <laughs> and I, and you know, the more I practice, the more I work with my dog using what I've learned from Ivan's course and stuff, the more I see what these other people are doing is fucking wrong. And yeah. he's like, Ivan is totally right about it. And they're, you, you know, they're spending so much time to teach these different things that, you know, that, that are just, you know, the dog's not even learning or that they're teaching totally incorrectly. I'm going to have to teach, reteach and reteach. And yeah, yeah. they're, you know, I see trainers with like three, two, three, four, five-year-old dogs dealing with the same issues over and over where it's like, you know, with Ivan's concepts, like those issues never happen. You can deal with those issues quickly. And again, like I'm speaking out of line here because I don't, I'm not sure. fully into it. I'm not certified by him and I don't have any titles on my dogs. I've sure. never competed with my dog. You know, she's still only a year and three months old, so she's not old enough. But what I do see working with my dog, what I do see even now having other trainers to compare the dogs. I, cause I have other trainers working under me. I can compare the way they train dogs versus the way I work with some of the dogs. And I yeah. see the differences and there there's clear differences, right? There's clear differences in terms of like, you know, the dog's behavior, the way the dog exhibits behaviors and stuff like that. And, yeah. um, and the quickness of the learning of the dog and all of those things. Right. And those are all, again, I, I attribute that to what I've learned through, through Ivan's stuff. So yeah. there's, um, Again, it's certainly an interesting rabbit hole to go down, and I certainly recommend trainers go down it. Yeah. But it's gonna it's gonna confuse you. It's gonna definitely. There's some trainers that are gonna get into it, and they're gonna be like, "What the fuck? This is just this is totally out to lunch <laughs> on what I thought before." And it's like, yeah, it's. But once you start learning it, and then learning how to apply the concepts effectively and efficiently, you know, it's not. Some people think that you have to spend. This is a comment I got from somebody in our in our club one time with my puppy um, when she was young. It was like, you know, I don't want to spend, you know a 15 minute training session teaching three, three heel, you know, teaching three heels or doing three heel commands and then having to play with the dog for the rest of that time. Yeah. It's like, that's not really how it works, but people do have that conception of it. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things, but I do think, like I said, if you're going to go down that Ivan rabbit hole, I think you have to go all the way with it. I don't think you can just dabble in it because I think then you're going to get into trouble. You know, I think if you're just dabbling and you're going to get confused, you're going to confuse dogs or confuse owners. So yeah. you have to really go all the way with it. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that he does a good job with that I really like is like, and again, I, I guess I'm talking out of line as well because I've never taken any of his courses before. Right. But it seems like, a lot of his his concepts and things that he does are rooted around really, really, really basic fundamental learning, right? Learning theory. That's it. That's it. Like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's master, think, master the basics yes. and everything else is easy, right? It's like, yeah. That's all it is. And, and I, I don't know where it came from, right? Because like my first introduction into like dog training was sport dog training and was like the Michael Ellis stuff, right? So I, I feel like like I would watch like fucking like I talk about like, you know, obviously the power of training dogs of food and advanced concepts and motivation and like some of those DVDs that were just like goddamn mm-hmm. textbooks and I would just sit there with my notebook just watching it over and over and over again just like writing notes down, writing notes down, writing notes down. And all of that stuff was very, very centered around just basic fundamental learning theory. Let's understand how animals learn. Let's understand what motivates them and let's break down these things we need to teach into you know bite-sized steps that are accomplishable but you've got to spend all this time on the foundational stuff so that you could do that very effectively right and i think 
Ivan stuff mm-hmm. seems like even like his biggest thing he's been pushing is the e-collar stuff, right? Is the, you mm-hmm. shouldn't do e-collar stuff this way. You should do it this way. And, you know, yes, obviously he gets very extreme with the, like every other way is, is super wrong, which I don't disagree with by any means, but it's like, whatever, like, you know, people, people can do what they, what they want mm-hmm. to do, obviously. But like people have such a hard time grasping just the concept of using an e-collar for both negative reinforcement and positive punishment. Like that's literally it. Right. And that's all yes. he's saying. Yes. And everybody's like, you're not telling us how you're doing it. You're not telling us how you do it. And he's just like, just understand those two concepts and you yeah. know how I do it. Yeah. Right? Like there's no, there's no, yeah. but the sport world, it just feels like there's so many different camps of people that just want to really, 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 really overcomplicate all of the things they're doing to the nth degree where it's just to what Ivan has said a lot is it's just like unnecessary, you know? Yes. So, so I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. There's, it's yeah. Like you said, it's, um, it's, it's a lot of that. It's a lot of people just, I, I, I think people just kind of cling on to what they learn from others, but it's training has now become like, especially e-collar training. It's so mystified, right. For yeah. the average owner to grasp these concepts, <laughs> sure. you have people out here saying like your dog needs to have endorphins when they feel the e-collar, your e-collar needs to be paired with yeah. dopamine and stuff. And it's like, you know, it's, it just, it confuses people and it totally, it confuses dogs too. Yeah. You know, it, it, it does. Um, and, and, and that's, that's, yeah, that's just it. Right. And I, I think, it's one of those things like with Ivan that's, that's that a lot of people hate, but it, for me, I, I enjoy it, the way that he says those things like, you know, his, his kind of, um, the, the, the way he says like, no, like the way you're doing it, like I said, it's fucking stupid and it's wrong and this is why. And then he lays it out. He lays out why that is and why it should be done this way or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, and I really, I enjoy that with anybody really with any trainers, um, that can say that kind of thing. And, and again, it's, uh, it just makes people mad, but yeah, it's, I, I see people teaching basic concepts and stuff like, like healing, for example. Um, like you mentioned, like he has his healing course part one yep. and then years later, just recently he released part two, which I'm, again, I'm sure that confused a lot of people too, because sure. there's some differences mm-hmm. between those courses and stuff. But, but once like, you know, once you see the way that he trains it and once you apply those methods to train him to heal, and then you watch other people, you know, they have to have a wall. They have to have like yeah. this, the food in certain spots are like in their armpit. They, they're spitting food out their mouth yeah, into yeah. the dog's mouth to teach it. You know? <laughs> and these things are just like, you sit there once you know a different way and you're just laughing at it. You're like, guys, why are you doing this? It doesn't need to be like this. And it's, um, you know, the concepts, like I said, just get so crazy with certain people and certain, certain things, you know, and then going into the concept of like, you know, not using food for training, which is one of Ivan's things. He uses mostly, you know, toys and play and stuff in in most of his training. Although he does use food. That's a a misconception, I think too. But um, again, people think that there's this like this need that your dog has to be hungry before training. You know, I know when I started doing PSA and stuff, people would talk about how like before training days and trial days, they wouldn't feed their dog the whole day. So they're pissed off on the day of training. It's like, I don't they're like, like think about that logically for a second. Like yeah. what are like, what athlete do you know? What performance, what kind of performance of any sort would be given at a, a good level if the dog is hungry or if, if you're hungry, if the, the, yeah. the thing doing it, the organism doing that performance is hungry or thinking about something else. Right. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, again, those concepts are argued back and forth by trainers. Other trainers will say when a dog is hungry, they're, you know, thinking the best because they're going to go hunt the best. So it's like, yeah. I don't know about any of that. I just, you know, just want the dog to be happy and having a good time doing it. And I think that that's yeah. one of the simple fundamentals of Ivan's stuff is like, 
you want you want the dog to be happy and and the owner to be happy and having a good time doing it. Yeah. And once you just think about that at the fundamental core of your training, is the dog having a good time? Is the owner having a good time? Even and I'm not saying like you know when we're dealing with aggressive dogs, there's going to be situations where neither the owner or the dog are having a good time. There is, <laughs> but if that's the overwhelming majority of your dogs is getting hammered constantly, the owners having to hammer the dog constantly, you know, there's going to be an issue. It's not going to yeah. last. And, you know, again, just, just keeping that at the forefront of my training now has made so much differences, both with my sport dog. That's, I think like a huge part of it. And the pet dogs that I train. Cause again, I see, you know, I see people in the sport world that, that that are getting frustrated with their dogs. They're getting mad at their dogs while yeah. training stuff. And I, I couldn't even imagine. I just couldn't imagine. I've had my Malinois for a year and three months now or something like that. Um, and she's doing really well. But I, I've never once gotten frustrated or mad at her during training with these methods of training, right? And same with, you know, before when I would train with other methods and stuff like that. Like I used to be, you know, I used to follow a lot of like, you know, Sean O'Shea stuff you know, even like you know, Gary Wilkes, who I, sure. again, I still enjoy a lot of their things and yeah. their concepts and I get the purposes of them. Um, but before when I used to train without knowing other ways, it would be, that's, that's all it would be, you know, it would be just, just kind of miserable for the dog and stuff. And it wouldn't last either. You know, at the end of the day, it would be just constant management of some sort, right? Whether it's management by having the e-collar always on, and, yeah. you know, turned up or whatever the case is. And I realize those things don't really last. Those things don't work. And that's, again, I think that that's one of the biggest things to, to keep in mind with that. So, yeah. So you mentioned like Sean O'Shea and all those guys. So when you started in training, I yeah. know you mentioned your mentor, um, uh, Rob, uh, had, you know, he has this obviously company. It sounds like he does a lot of like police canine work or, or, or more mm -hmm, working mm -hmm. dog stuff, obviously. When you started, was it more in that avenue or was it more of just like the popular pet dog trainers at the time and, and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. So Rob's place does a lot, mostly pet dog training. They do sport or sport, or I mean, it should say police stuff. Um, especially back when, when I started, uh, with, with Robert, when I got to know him, um, but they'd also did a lot of uh, pet dog stuff. And that was really what piqued my interest, especially because again, I had this Malinois. I really didn't learn a lot of training through, through Rob. I more learned about the business side of things sure. from Rob, which was, I think awesome because it allowed me to go explore my own avenues of training. I didn't go and like, you know, learn from this one guy or these, yeah, yeah. these specific trainers had these specific methods. Mm. And that's what I was stuck with. I was able to actually go home and Again, a lot of people probably shit on this stuff, but I was able, I was one of those YouTube trainers. You know, I learned everything through YouTube. I started with Michael Ellis, 100%, all of Michael Ellis's, you know, I got his puppy courses. I got his, like, you know, his power of training with food and stuff course. Um, all, all of these different things. I, I, through, I, or I should say, uh, Michael, I was, I was learning at the time. And then I started getting more into the pet dog stuff. So I started learning about Larry Crone. Um, and Tyler Muto were the, the Michael Ellis, Larry Crone, and Tyler Muto were the three I originally started learning yeah. the most from, um, which I think, man, if you're starting dog training, those are the three people you want to learn from at the, yeah. at the, when you're starting, you know, they're going to make everything very, very simple. Um, they're going to make, break everything down in a very, very clear way. And, um, I think if you're going to learn, like I said, those are the three people to kind of learn from. Right. And so learning uh learning their concepts and stuff applying them with my dog seeing it work and then going out with my dog in the public and 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 realizing people wanted their dogs trained like my dogs i was able to turn that into how i learned how to train right yeah um so so yeah michael ellis and, and tyler muto were the the trainers that i kind of initially started learning the most from
Yeah, that's funny. I, I had almost the same progression. So I started with the Michael Ellis stuff. That was like everything I yeah. did initially was like 100% to a T Michael Ellis's system of dog training. Like every client that came mm-hmm. in, session number one was freaking marker charging. Then we're going over lures in the second session and this and that. And I'll tell you, like especially with the boarding trains and stuff I was working with at the time, those were some of the best I feel like most motivated, happy dogs I feel like I, I was training at the time. I mm-hmm. I feel like I started running into a lot of issues where a lot of the clientele that came in just like they were very like resistant to, and this was like nine years ago or so, but like they were very resistant to like using food constantly with dogs and they just mm-hmm. wanted the dog to fucking walk yep. on a leash mm-hmm. for them and this and that, which is where I went directly to. I feel like Tyler... Uh, was kind of coming on the scene right at that point. And I feel like he was doing cool work. And he was mm-hmm. only like a three-hour drive for me. So, like, he was like my mentor when I got started. Like, he was a guy, I remember I called him up. This is before he had a big name for himself or anything. I was like, I want to fucking learn from you. And he was like, well, I don't really do yeah. shadow programs, but, like, you can pay me for an hour of time and come by. And then I wound oh, up just wow. going up there and just hanging out with him and became really good friends with his staff and him. And, and uh, then that took me to... I feel like I started finding out about like, you know, Sean O'Shea and Jeff Gelman were like the other two big ones at the time. I started getting into their stuff and then playing around with it. But I feel like because I started with the foundation of like the Michael and Tyler, I feel like there's so much to you learned the right. And when I say the right, I don't mean like more pressure, less pressure, this, that, be firmer on the dog, softer on the dog. I just mean like the stuff I was learning was like scientifically accurate, right? Like I yeah, had the a fundamentals. Good, I had a good understanding of the fundamentals where I was able to then look at when I got into those guys, hey, here are some things they're doing that just like don't align with science, basically. Right? Exactly. Like, How dogs it, learn, just, right? it just doesn't it just doesn't make sense, right? So like but the things they were doing, I did have a lot of appreciation for at that time because they truly were, it was more the mindset of like, let's be really owner centered with our training, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe the training itself wasn't as good, but the mindset of like how they were delivering information to people, I really, really enjoyed. So I kind of started going deep down that rabbit hole with things I feel like and figuring out ways to like take, like I think I still have somewhere like Sean's training dog with prong collar and e-collar DVDs. And I remember I looked at them and yep. I was like, all right, well, what adjustments would be would need to be made to these in order to do it the same way, but have it actually be accurate and like follow the fundamentals yeah. of uh, negative reinforcement or positive punishment with the e-collar training and stuff like that. And I think that was a very valuable tool to learn. I remember Tyler, one of the first times I went to him, because he really, he pioneered a lot of that like conversational leash work and like doing a lot of the stuff with uh, with a pinch collar with the negative reinforcement. And I was like, how did you really get into all that kind of stuff? And I remember he was telling me, he's like, I literally just spent a large chunk of my time just playing games with myself where I would be like, let me just use a prong collar and pick random things to teach the dog to do and only do it with the prong collar and do it utilizing like negative reinforcement concepts and stuff, which is where he got into to just, just all sorts of understanding of implementing negative reinforcement and like successive approximation and stuff like that to get the dog to do really complex tasks. And I was like, that's a really interesting concept because it gets you to really deeply understand that one tool, right? So I was like, how can we implement that with the e-collar in these cases? Because that's kind of what Sean and Jeff were doing. So then I spent a lot of time trying to figure out, like, how can I teach the dog to do miscellaneous tasks with e-collar? And I, th- I remember one of them in particular, I used negative reinforcement, like low stim, in order to teach this, like, aggressive Anatolian shepherd to, like, stick his face into a muzzle, right? 
And just miscellaneous tasks like that to get me to really understand those nuances of using the e-collar independently. Then obviously, as you do that, you start running into, well, just using any one tool, obviously, is not a good idea. And it's so funny how trainers will go through that progression. And then I full circle kind of came back to the sports stuff. And it's like, let's blend both of these spectrums as best as possible. The (laughs) concepts we like here, the concepts we like here, and create a system that can flourish utilizing both of those, mm-hmm. you know? And um, yeah, I don't know. I kind of went on a tangent there, but that, that was, that was no, a I, I feel I, like, like my journey with that kind of stuff, you know? I think that's the progression. It seems to me like a lot of trainers follow, like especially the, the trainers that have come out in the time frame that I've come around anyway with like the, the, the wave of all the internet information. Sure. It seems like that seems to be a general progression, um, at least for a lot of trainers I know. They go into the Michael Ellis stuff. Then they start going more into the, like I said, the Sean O'Shea kind of stuff. And I did the same thing. My progression was just like that. Lots of positive reinforcement, mostly, you know, following Michael's programs with my original training, then shifting almost like almost entirely shifting into more like a compulsion based kind of program, still layering in some of that food and stuff on there that I, you know, I would use from Michael's stuff. Um, and having those fundamentals, like you had said. So, but then when I started doing like, you know, going full into like the, and I think the reason this progression happens is because as trainers, we take on easy cases at first, and then we start getting the more difficult cases that we want to take on, and we need to learn these new concepts, right? And so we go into these new people like, like you know, Sean O'Shea and stuff, right? And then I started applying his concepts and realizing, okay, there's some fallbacks here. There's some different, like, issues and stuff here. And then, again, going almost full circle, now I'm kind of more into the Ivan stuff, so I do kind of have changed that progression a little bit. Um but it's again, it's back into more dog centric instead of human centric, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's where it is. Like it goes dog centric at first. You want to start by helping the dogs. Then you realize, oh crap, the owners are the ones that need help and they're the ones struggling. So you go into the owner centric style of training. And then again, now it's like a mix of both dog centric and owner centric and just knowing when and where to apply both yeah. concepts, you know, that's really, and when it's appropriate really, yeah. to focus more on the dog's feelings and the human's feelings. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that. That is one hundred percent. I think. I, gonna say. I think. I think a big problem that I'll see people do, as far as that progression is concerned, is they'll start the other way around with things, and they get super fucking yes. thrown off by stuff, right? So people that start off with learning concepts that will, I don't want to say like. like the work, right? Like if you buy Sean's DVD and you do all the things that Sean does in the DVD under the right circumstances with the right dog, without understanding the whys behind things, like it will work, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But if you're learning things inaccurately and you're not learning the whys behind stuff, every time you run into a situation where you have a dog that, doesn't quite fit the mold and you need to adjust a little bit because all of us with all of our programs, right, have to make little adjustments here, little adjustments there, little adjustments here based Mm -hmm. on the environment, the dog, the owners, all of those types of things. But if you don't understand the whys, you're going to get yourself so fucking confused. And then what will happen is instead of progressing what you're already doing and just fixing those things that are incorrect, what you do is you hop right? You hop to this next thing thinking this next thing will be the correct thing. And this is everything yep. is wrong about it and completely inaccurate, right? Then you'll hop to the next thing when you don't know the whys behind yeah. that and confuse yourself even more. And and I just see it all the time mm-hmm. where you get the people that, again, it's like, I'm all this or I'm all this or I'm all this or I'm all this, you know? So. Yeah. No, that's I like I was going to say, it's like, I, I couldn't imagine honestly being a trainer that starts 
in the industry learning from like let's say people like um like uh sean o'shea yeah or uh gelman right or jeff gelman right like if you're starting your training journey like that like that's that's going to be very difficult to kind of to climb back from that to some extent i, I have to imagine yeah. um i'm sure some people do but it's again i and then i wonder about like the people that that continue to to stay in in that methodology and obviously it's working for them and they're happy with the results their clients and stuff are happy with the results but it's like there's there's definitely like you know like even i guess like trainers that train like you know the caesar milan way it's like sure. and they've done it since you know like they learned from them maybe in the early thousands or something and they're still doing the exact same thing <laughs> even today it's like how how are you still doing it that yeah. way and have you not how have you not progressed it's yeah. like I mean, good on them if it's working, but I just, I, I don't, I don't quite get that, you know, yeah, yeah. it's, uh, you know, yeah, but nonetheless, they're good tools to have in the toolbox, but without understanding That's the lies behind it, right? It's, it's yeah. so complicated. Like I did, I, I've been doing a couple lessons with this, like this breed, this local breeder, um, that has a bunch of, they breed little dogs, whatever. So they got a bunch of fucking little dogs, right? And mm -hmm, they mm -hmm. were working with another trainer for a while. They really wanted to provide these dogs they were breeding, like their actual breeding program dogs, with just good training, uh, a, a good good environment. Like like they're, they're really doing, doing good work on these dogs, right? And they were working with this local trainer who's like a hardcore, just like Keeler method, just straight up trainer, right? And, and it's fine. Like, they, they get good results and stuff like that. But they, they have so many dogs. They got, like, 23 dogs, right? So they're trying to go through this program with every single one of these dogs, take it start to finish from being yep. fully on-leash trained and fully off-leash trained and this and that. And it's just, it ain't going to happen, right? Like, you're not going to be able to, yep. to do it. And if you do do it, you're not going to be able to stay consistent with all of them with it. It's yep. just going to be a mess. And really, all they actually wanted was for the dogs to be more well-mannered so they could keep the majority of the dogs actually in their home with them so that they could they could they didn't have to be like in the back in the kennel all the time right so they could have a little bit better of a life yeah. obviously right so that was a situation where it's like all right well like you know we'll implement some training for some of the dogs if there's things like leash walking you want to work on or there's a couple she wanted to have a good recall on and all that kind of stuff but a lot of it was just general basic manners and mm. these dogs are this fucking big like we didn't <laughs> need to be slapping mm -hmm. e collars on all of them <laughs> and prong collars on all of them and this and that like we true like it was actually probably one of the first times in a very long time that I literally felt like I was like Caesar Milan in their fucking house. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, just I'm teaching them obviously. Hey, this is what markers are. This is how we use them. This is how we attach consequences to behavior. This is how we reward for things we want and stuff. But it was very much like no tools. Let's just understand how our energy is influencing this pack of like 23 dogs that you have yeah. and how to just baseline, make sure we're not creating any problems. Mm. Right. But because I understood the concepts of how Caesar talks about energy and talks about the owners and this and that, but I also knew the more sciencey side of like this is how we actually implement these things, and I could articulate how to implement these things to the owners. They were able to be successful with it, and we did like two or three sessions. And the last one I went back to, they're like, honestly, like it's just like we just we don't really have a big headache right now you know and yeah. these dogs aren't fucking fully off leash trained or anything but like yeah. they behave themselves well enough where they can enjoy them so yeah 
that's but that's like what you're saying about like again like the, having these methods as tools because it's like let's say you only ever learn from michael ellis sure. as your training you know guide you're never going to learn how to socialize dogs yeah. you're never going to learn how to put multiple dogs together and train them that's just never going to be that's going to be something you say is just like well your dog doesn't need dog friends or something you'll be one of those people right because yeah. those methods don't have anything to do with that those concepts don't apply um, you know, to socializing a pack of dogs, especially a pack of dogs that maybe a couple of them might kill each other. Right. Yeah. And then again, if you don't learn from people like Caesar or if you're not learning or, you know, looking at stuff like Brandon Fouché's stuff, who you got me into, cause I, that's, you know, interesting stuff as well. But if you're not looking into that stuff, then you're not going to know those concepts. You're always going to be stuck with that mentality of like, well, your dog just doesn't need to socialize with other dogs, or I don't know how to make that interaction happen without just putting the dogs on plates beds across from each other, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, so having those different methods and tools is so important for those kinds of situations, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I try to like, as we're, you know, when we're doing these podcasts, I try to like, my brain is always crafting, like, what is like the underlying like uh, uh, a message we're trying to get across with like any individual episode we're doing. And like one of the things right now, like everything we're talking about, I feel like is, is related to clients, but like not super. Right. And it's, it's also related to, to trainers, but like also not a hundred percent, like listen to this and you're going to learn all these types of things. But like, I really think a lot of the understanding of the, what I really would like to see out of the dog world that I, I feel like we're moving, this direction that it's like moving further away from this is instead of just like inherently looking at things as right and wrong, you just try to look at, even if you disagree with every, like so many people like Jeff Gelman, we mentioned his name twice, I think like, and Sean, right? Like those are two names that right now catch a lot of heat in the dog world. If you talk about them, right? Like you got Jeff Gelman, who everybody claims is mm -hmm. the animal abuser of all animal abusers. And then Sean, who is the one that's driving around his fucking Porsches and just in it to make money and stuff like that. And, and even if you disagree completely with their methods, just try to retain or pull something from that, that you could, you could at least appreciate and understand why they're doing the things they're doing, where even if it's incorrect, maybe there's something you could take from it that's going to help you out a little bit. And the more you understand everybody's individual concepts, you don't even have to implement them, but I feel like you won't find yourself in that trap where you're constantly jumping around from person to person and just going to all in this, to all in that, and like sacrificing that everybody's got their why behind stuff, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah it's it's that's definitely it it's um again whether you're a trainer or an owner sure. you can get in trouble if you're just you know focused on that one and just stuck with one method or one ideology kind of thing because mm -hmm. yeah you run into those dogs or you get that dog that you know whatever you're doing is not working or it stopped yeah. working and now now you're stuck right um but then like you said then you jump to the next method and go all in on that and forget everything you learned in the last one right that yeah. last you know training program you did or whatever the case is, is but so it's um, yeah. I don't know. It's 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 tough for like the the online training in general. The world is tough because there's just so much information. It's easy to get get too much information, get that analysis paralysis, and you don't know what to do, you know, with the information. So, yeah. but you know, the best thing you can do is just start, you know, ex experiment, do what yeah. works, you know, find something that you find you know works for you and is enjoyable for you, yeah, um, and and stick with that. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. The, the experiment having a place where you could comfortably experiment and not have yes. all this pressure of 
getting results for somebody or I have this deadline or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's so, so important. Right. I was talking to, I was talking to a colleague that yeah. I speak with, with, with somewhat regularly who was asking some questions recently and, and kind of like going through this phase, I would say of like self doubt almost, you know, and like, this per this individual knows what they're doing. They're very intelligent. They 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 understand training concepts. They spend so much time researching things and educating themselves and stuff like that. But it feels yeah. like, and, and this person is probably going to listen to this. So sorry, I'm talking about you. Whatever. <laughs> uh, but the, it, it feels like a lot of the pressure is coming from this individual does primarily one-on-one sessions, right? So everything they're doing, every time they learn a concept from somewhere, right? And they want to try that concept out. They're needing to do it with an audience in front of them. That's like, I'm watching you and this better work kind of thing. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because I'm paying you for this time, Mm -hmm. right? And God, the amount of times when I was learning concepts that I would play around with something for a day, two days, three days, an hour, whatever, and just have it be very, very fucking apparent. This is just not, this is not correct, right? Like whatever, something I'm doing right now is not working, right? Something's not yeah. clicking, whatever. But I didn't have that pressure on me. I didn't feel that glooming like self-doubt fall on myself because it was mm-hmm. just a natural part of my learning progression, right? And I was able to then mm-hmm. tweak it and fine tune it and stuff and get it to a place where it's like, okay, it did work because I started to understand it a little bit more. And I think people need to have the ability to do that, whether it's Personal dogs obviously are really great for that, but like obviously as you move through your training process, your dogs become well trained enough where there's not as much to experiment yeah. with them, you know? Yeah. Um boarding trains are so phenomenal for that, right? Um and yeah. you know, even past that, I always tell everybody, like, you know, if you have the ability to do so, if you can't do boarding trains, right? If you could just go foster a dog for like three months. And just have a dog in your house that you just pro bono. I'll keep this dog for three months just to, you know, help provide a little mm-hmm. training there, a little training there. Don't pay me for it. It's no big deal, right? Um, mm-hmm. Just just have, have some way that you could just play around with stuff and just just have your lab to experiment with. Man, that I, th- I think... I think people would be much more confident in the things that they actually go to do if they were able to spend that time on that kind of stuff a little bit more, you know? Yeah. And that's where like, you know, I couldn't imagine like starting my training journey. Like, um, like I said, like with joint forces, for instance, they hire all their trainers from training schools. Yeah. So like Tom Rose, Kennelwood Academy and stuff like that. And like, again, it's like they're, they can't experiment in those places. You know, they're learning one way and one way only. And you can see the, yep. you can see how, how much they struggle. Like I can watch these trainers when I'm there sometimes just struggling with very simple, basic things because they only have, they know how to use the, the, the prong collar. They know how to use a marker and like, that's it. And that's yeah. all that they know. And that's all that they can do. Cause they can't experiment with these dogs necessarily. Right. They have a specific training protocol or practice way that they need to do things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even for my business, we have two other trainers, including myself, there's two other trainers. Um, but, uh, they again i don't give them a specific way that they have to train you know there's obviously certain things that are you know like you know i guess you know the way that we do things in terms of our 
ethics and whatnot, yeah. but there's no, I'm not saying you have to train dog X this way. They need to go home knowing this marker in this way. Yeah. Um, I let my trainers experiment and they, they kind of learn what works and what doesn't. And I can kind of guide them if I think that they need guidance yeah. or I can ask them for guidance if, if I need that guidance. And that, that again, that ability to bounce ideas, concepts, and even compare dogs mm-hmm. is so, so awesome to have that, right? Like to be able to like, say like, Hey, like, you know, this dog looks like this, this dog looks like this doing these behaviors. How'd you get your dog to do it like that kind of thing? Right. And you yeah. can bounce these ideas off of each other. Um, but being trapped, like not being able to experiment would be so, so difficult. Yeah. And like you said, doing just private trains. When I started my business, I probably only did like three paid private training sessions before I took in my first board and train. Yeah. And that's once I took in my first board and train, I never stopped. And that was all I was using or doing was board and trains primarily. And I was able to experiment. I'd get a dog for two weeks, three weeks, and I'd be able to try all these different concepts. So this, see what works, see what doesn't work, see what sticks and stuff. And yeah, yeah that's, I think that's so important if you're a new trainer starting out, getting yeah. into board and trains and making sure that you're, you have, making sure you're working in a place or an environment that allows you to experiment a bit yeah. um, while still making sure you're staying on a, a good path. Because again, yeah. you don't want to be experimenting with too much crazy stuff, you know, but, sure. yeah, but still yeah. like you do, you, I mean, you do need to, you need to try it out, but yeah. it's, um, again, I think that's just so important. So, so the board and train thing, making sure that you can get into a place or starting your business with the board and train, yeah. um, program in place is so important. I think if you're a new trainer. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So that's, that's another interesting question. So, so now you're, you're obviously more established now, right? You've been doing this six, seven years, right? Um, do you yeah. prefer boarding trains still, or do you prefer one-on-ones now? I enjoy both um, to the same degree, I would say. Like, there's some private sessions that I really, really enjoy and are very, very rewarding. There's some that are just a pain in my ass, and I, 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 I dread going to them and stuff, right? Um, same with boarding trains. You know, I think that some boarding trains, I really enjoy the process. Yeah. Other ones, it's just like, oh, let's just get this three weeks over with kind of thing, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So I... You know, I like both. I, I like both equally as much. Um, I would say for the most part, yeah, I like I like both equally as much, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think private training, in my opinion, I think private training, because I have to be, it, it requires so much more skill, I think, to, to effectively train a dog in a private training session. Um, especially if you're doing, like, behavior modification or whatever, yep. right? And maybe not, like, simple, like, off-leash, like, recall or something that's easy, but if you're trying to do, like, a behavior modification program through private sessions and you're successful. Yeah. I think that really speaks to you as a, as a trainer. And like, even myself now, like I do a lot of my private training sessions now where I don't even handle the dog. I don't take the leash. Yep. Um, kind of like Larry Crone style, you know? And I, yeah, yeah. you know, I used to, again, I used to give shit, um, talk shit about Larry Crone kind of for saying stuff like that. Sure. Like, Oh, you should be able to train these dogs without having to take the leash and stuff. And I would say like, no, that's just ridiculous. Get the leash and get it under control. But now I see, how again how you can effectively do that right yeah. and it's just fun to play around with that stuff and with the with private training there's just more on the line i guess right because like you said the audiences they're watching at first you know if i was a, a new trainer and wasn't confident in what i was doing that would mm. concern me but now that i'm confident in what i'm doing that's awesome i'm like yeah like let's let's try let's you know watch the progress watch the, the well, watch the this unfold kind of thing right yeah um and it's fun now. It's not stressful for me. I don't go in there wondering like, oh no, it's just, this isn't working, but we're going to do it again anyway kind of thing, right? It's, yeah. you know, um, so for me now, and because I'm the owner of the business, the private training is 
more fun and more rewarding in that regards because yeah um yeah again it just requires more skill more effort yeah i think getting to like the thing that like has had me fairly excited in the last whatever six months seven months something like that has been really diving into the behavioral modification one-on-one side of things it's something we've always done like we've never had firm rules of you know, if your dog is aggressive or this or that, it has to do a board and train. But I would say in the past, like years ago, like not not necessarily recently, but like we would definitely sway people more towards like, oh, you got a really serious dog, like it should do a board and train, right? Mm-hmm. And I've almost ping-ponged like the opposite direction lately from the standpoint mm-hmm. of, you know, serious behavioral modification in one-on-one classes is so fucking beneficial to owners and for mm-hmm. trainers. One, like you were saying, from a skill set standpoint, like you've got to, as a trainer, be able to understand how can I break this stuff down so simply for the owner to be successful and safe with stuff if you have uh, like a really aggressive dog, for example, or something like that. Um, and, you know, two, I'm getting the week-by-week progress updates, right? Like, I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's just... Every time, like talk about experimenting, right? Like every time I give you something to try for this first week, I'm getting an immediate case study back of how did that thing impact your day to day, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And I feel like Mm -hmm. that's really, as trainers move more towards doing more one-on-ones and out of board and trains and stuff like that, man, that's really where a lot of skill can be refined and defined is, is when you do board or you do one-on-one classes for those types of things. And you have to figure out a way to articulate your concepts clearly enough where people get it and can successfully implement it to be successful. Right. I think that's so huge. And I just see so many trainers, at least in Cleveland, right? And I I feel like I see it online also, that literally say, if your dog has serious anxiety or serious aggression or this or that, they have to do a board and train. And I just don't, I just don't understand that. Like board and trains don't fix dogs. They don't, you know, like it teaches the dog some skills and can help them be successful for a little bit, right? But there's so much work when you have a behavioral modification case that you have to do post board and train with the owner to get them to be successful. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You have to you have to pair it with the private sessions, regardless yeah. if you want them to do the board. And you know that realistically, I suppose that is probably the single best way to do it is like a board and train followed by a bunch of private sure. sessions. If any, if an owner is going to do a behavior mod program, yeah. probably the best way to do it, right? Um, sure. But like you said, it's like the the I shared a quote recently from Larry on my Facebook page from Larry Crone, and it was I think it was um don't. Don't try to impress the owner with what you can do with their dog. Try to yeah, impress yeah, yeah, the yeah. dog with what you can do with their owner. Yeah. And I, I really love that quote because that's just it, right? It's yeah, like, you know, cool. um, it doesn't matter what you can do with the dog. It matters what the owner can do. And, yeah. you know, even in a board and train setting, you can be, you can um, try to convince yourself that, hey, like here on the property or here in this place that we've been training for the last three weeks, the dog's doing great with me around. And you can try to fool yourself into, you know, thinking that that's long-term progress. But I guarantee you, a month down the road, that owner's calling you with problems, right? If, if that's all you did was one one follow-up session or even a couple little follow-up sessions with a serious behavior mod program, um, I guarantee that's not going to last. The, the progress you made with that dog, unless that owner can, you can visibly see that same progress for an extended period with that owner, it's not going to work either. And again, that's the nice thing about private training. You're seeing the progress over a six-week period with the owner, not a six-week period in your controlled fish tank of a training environment or whatever, right? Um, yeah. And that's that's really where you see see the behaviors and stuff happen. And like I said, it goes back to that idea of the training and drive thing. It's like 
the the dog is going to act a different way at home with the owners and you need to make sure that your training incorporates that somehow right yeah. whether that means you're doing in-home visits after a board and train which i think is incredibly important um or you're doing you know private sessions at your location and maybe at their location if you can right those things are all very very vital i think you know yeah yeah and and i would say that the other big piece of advice for for trainers and stuff that might be listening to this is like as you're doing those things too. And I think the, the training and drive, the concept you're talking about with like training and drive and being able to replicate that state of mind the dog is going to be in, in the house, right. Or wherever the problematic behavior exists, like throughout your training program is don't mm-hmm. get too much, too much into a trap because everybody falls in this trap, myself included, right. Don't fall too much into the trap of having a curriculum in your head. The dog has to follow. Right. Like there are so many, I used an example recently of we had, we have this German shepherd that did a board and train with us recently that I sent home that lives on a fucking farm. They live on 35 acres with like cows and sheep and fucking the dog is literally just loose outside all fucking day long. And like, you know, doing farm work with the fucking owners and stuff like that. And yeah. So many people would spend all this time like on like place or bed or like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, leash mm-hmm. walking or this or that. This dog is never going to be leash walked. Right? Yeah. Like yeah. this dog is yeah. going to be off leash on a farm and needs to be able to coexist with the animals and coexist with the other dogs on the property and just be fucking well mannered. So we really had to cater the training program to like all these things I feel like the dog should know. Right. They mm-hmm. don't need to know it. Right. They yeah. need to know these mm-hmm. things for their situation. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, again, like there's, you know, you could look at like there are things that maybe the owner doesn't want that I could see that they need. Right. But there are definitely mm-hmm. plenty of situations where I look at things and think the dog needs certain things, but really they need something else. So trying to look at the individual situation of the dog and really make it, you know, people say like, you know, train the dog in front of you, like train the situation in front of you, right? Train the owner in front yeah. of you, right? There's, there's a lot more to there's, it um, that. There's a, again, um, with, with one of Ivan's courses that he has, the make your dog somebody course, he tells a very interesting um, anecdotal story from his life, how he used to work in the, uh, as a guide dog trainer in, I believe LA or California, he used to be a guide dog trainer. And he tells a story about how, he was a he was an, a, a high level you know trainer at the time. He could train really really good, nice obedience and stuff. And he would work in the guide dog program alongside other trainers. Um, and 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 he would he would watch these trainers, these other trainers that have been in the guide dog program training for a long time. He'd watch them train, and he would see it was sloppy. They looked not good. They were slow moving. They were you know doing all these things kind of strangely and not putting much effort into it, etc. Right. And he was confused by this. And then he would, they would do these evaluations on the dogs where they would give them a score on how the dog does the program. And his dogs would get like three, I think it was like a point system of like three out of five points or something. Meanwhile, these people who he thought the dogs looked kind of sloppy were getting like five points in their, 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 their training or whatever, right? They were getting, you know, better results from their training. And, and the reason why is because these more experienced trainers were training the way the owner was going to work with the dog. They weren't training the way they were going to work with the dog Ivan would be doing the flashy obedience and stuff he'd be doing like the the whips into heel and all this stuff meanwhile the the dog would be going to an obese diabetic that can't see anything right and so the people that know the experienced trainers they're training with that in mind they're training with the 
the knowledge of who is the owner that this dog is going to, what are the circumstances that they're going into and, and replicating that. Right. And so that's the same thing now that I do in boarding trains as well, or do it during private training is make sure that what you're doing, the owner can easily replicate. And like you said, it fits in with what the owner actually wants and what they can do. If you're, Again, taking on a board and train and the, it's an elderly couple and you're teaching the dog, you know, how to play really aggressive tug or, you know, doing really quick, you know, Michael Ellis style obedience with the dog. And it's all hunky dory and fun and fine with you. <laughs> Meanwhile, these people are, you know, 70 years old and can barely, you know, move or get excited. Yeah. Good luck, right? You're, what you did during that board and train is not going to stick, right? Yeah. So you need to make sure that you're, you know, taking notes on who the client is, understanding their behavior, speaking with them, really getting to know them. Tyler is one, somebody that really ingrained this into me is really making sure you're getting a lot of detail through your consultations, through your phone calls with these people, through your interactions with them, picking up on their little mannerisms. You know, as I watch people handle their dogs in private sessions, I'm just making little mental notes all the time of the way that they do things. And you'll see, you'll see some trainers that are like, you know, no, you, you didn't yes your dog at the right moment or stop repeating the command. And they're just, yeah, yeah. you know, little things that really in the big picture are not going to make a huge difference with how the dog and the owner train. And in fact, that's most likely how the owner is going to be. You're never going to change that owner's mannerisms in your six weeks. So work with those mannerisms, right? If the owner repeats the command, then that's fine. Just work that into, you know, the training. Don't just spend a session like, hey, you can't repeat the command or you have to deliver the marker this way, like this, right? Yeah just work with what they're giving you and like you know that's it's so much easier on the dog and the owner when you do that so again i think that's such an important concept is making sure you're 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 working with the owner in front of you as well as the dog in front of you you know yeah yeah i I love that i think that's i think that's so great and 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 there's there's such like not talked about concepts you know what i mean like everybody focuses on precision and this and that and and things being so perfect and and all that kind of stuff where it's like real life with your dogs is just like sloppy sometimes you know like even even with my dogs it's just it's just loose and it's (laughs) sloppy and it's just we're just hanging out and just enjoying each other which Mm -hmm. is obviously another big overarching uh, uh part of this this uh this conversation that you talked about quite a bit at the beginning obviously exactly um but but that's really it and the obedience just facilitates being able to help the dog through some challenging situations so you could enjoy them more right so let's put some emphasis yes. on the enjoyment yeah. side of things let's put some emphasis on the obedience but really show you where you need it where you don't need it because there's a lot of situations that people will overcomplicate things with fucking yeah. commands right where they just don't need to be doing that and their life would be so much right. Like I, 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 I really try my hardest to, 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 I tell people like I coach my clients to live with their dogs. Like I live with my dogs. Right. And I'm a fucking dog trainer. Mm-hmm. But like I do not do all sorts of crazy shit with my dog. I really don't like, I live such a, a natural, yeah. like holistic, whatever the fuck you want to call it life with them where we just like hang out go for some walks here and there and hang out in the backyard, you know, and the only times I really dial them in is if we're going out to like a busy public place. Like that's really the only time that I ask anything very demanding of them, you know? And, um, yes, exactly. And that's, there's so much of that, that, but that's the way that, and that's the way most owners are going to be at the end of the day. You're never going to train. The average owner is not going to become a dog trainer in six weeks of a training program or yeah. over the course of a three week boarding training session. They're not going to become a dog trainer. Yeah. And so you really have to keep, keep that in mind. Right. And I think it's just one of those things where it's like, um, you know, I just think it's one of those things where people, 
need to understand that concept more, you know, um, really simplify things for owners and stuff. The more you can simplify things and again, break them down to their fundamentals, the more successful and long-term successful you'll be, you know? Yeah. I think that's the, the biggest thing there, you know? Yeah. I love that. Uh, hell yeah, man. I mean, you got anything else you want to, do you got anything, you got anything, anybody want to add anything else to, to the, the people that may be listening? I mean, as far as uh, that conversation goes, I think that that's a pretty good conversation right now. Hey, I mean, um, yeah, like I said, it's just whether you're a new trainer or a new owner, I think the biggest thing is just make sure you're, um, you're learning the fundamentals and you're, you're, you're mastering that before you start getting carried away with too much. Right. Um, and, and also be objective. Don't, don't, uh, that's the other big thing is to be objective. You know, you really make sure you understand like, okay, I'm doing this and it's clearly not working. What do I need to do different? Don't keep trying to do the same thing and pretending it's working or, you know, that that's when you start getting those trainers and stuff that start saying, well, like I taught the owner to do this and they're not doing it now. It's like, Mm -hmm. is that really what's happening? Is the owner really not doing (laughs) it or did what you teach them not work? And now they're seeing that because owners are, they're going to, they're going to let you know if it's not working. Right. I mean, they might not let you know, but you know, you'll you'll know if it's not working, right. They'll either be calling you telling you it's not working or they won't be calling you and you'll see them on another dog trainer's feed somewhere. Right. And so it's, it's just one of those things to, to really be objective with that kind of thing um, and pay attention to that. That's, that's, I guess, a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, just like just true honesty with the work you're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't get too caught up in, in all the the other things, but yeah, like art is what you're doing actually helping people. I think that's, that's a huge, huge last point. For sure. For sure. No. And I think, um, yeah, I think we should definitely chat again. Maybe, maybe the next time we can have a conversation, we can do an evening or something, have a couple of drinks or something. Oh yeah. I think that would be a lot of fun too. So yeah. Um, hundred percent. You can get your bourbon. No, I appreciate you having me on. No, no. I'm, yeah. I'm, I get some bourbon in a say. I'm, I'm glad we were able to make this happen for sure. Um, we'll, um, what, I mean, obviously, uh, Chinook canine. How do you pronounce it? Is it Chinook? Is it Chinook? Chinook canine. That's yeah, it's Chinook. Right. So Chinook. it's yeah, yeah Chinook, Chinook, like S H. Right, right. Um, that's uh, the, the meaning is I live in the Rocky Mountains. Here's where we live here in Calgary. So we're right to the west of, or to the east of the Rocky Mountains. And uh, we get a, it's a, a, a wind that comes out from the mountains that warms things up in the, in the wintertime. Mm. So it'll be like, you know, minus 20 degrees Fahrenheit in the winter, like just as cold as it can be. A Chinook wind will blow in and it'll warm up to, you know, 35 degrees Fahrenheit kind of oh, thing. Jesus. It'll warm up like right away. Thank and so goodness. that's the meaning of it. So it's a regional term. Um, a lot of people know it from the helicopter and stuff too, but um, that's kind of why I named the business that. And it's, it's been a catchy name. A lot of people really enjoy the name. I think I, 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 I snagged a good one with that. So yeah. Hell yeah, man. Well, listen, we'll put, uh, we'll put all your links in the notes, obviously. Uh, really appreciate awesome. the conversation. We'll definitely do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, for sure, for sure. Great talking to you, man. Yeah, nice no, I appreciate you guys having me on the show. It was great talking to you guys. And uh, again, I, I, I love your podcast. So being on, it's just awesome. So we appreciate that. Listen, look, looking forward to listening to the episode too. I hate hearing myself yeah. talk, but <laughs> looking forward to listening yeah. to it. So. Yeah. You, oh, yeah. You guys were nerding out. So I was like an hour and a half. I was just yeah. like, I was just like learning right there. I was like, <laughs> yeah, okay, like I said, I think ahead. if we... I, I, I think if we get some bourbon in us, we can really nerd out for a little bit longer too. <laughs> oh, yeah. so we'll have yeah. to do that next time. Hell yeah, man. All right. Well, I really appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Enjoy the rest of your day, man. Take care. Record.